never remain free if they are not willing if need be to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Welcome to Hot and Sweaty Harrison, Arkansas, 98 degrees all day long and Man, not that I'm suffering, but it could be more comfortable. (laughs) So, but in any case, folks, I'm going to be continuing uh, the the study of the ISawTheLightMinistries.com, which on the front page of the website has all kinds of, uh, let me put it this way, disinformation about the name of Yahweh. And last week I talked primarily about the idea, the totally false idea, that the Hebrew Bible was written, in not in Hebrew, but in Assyrian, which the only source that the author cites is a Kabad Lubavitcher site. In other words, a Talmudic rabbi. So anybody who believes the, the words of a Talmudic rabbi is seriously deluded. My position on the pronouncements of Talmudic rabbis, or any rabbi, or any Jew for that matter, is assume it's a lie until proven otherwise. (laughs) The only time a Jew will tell the truth is to suck you in, to con you. And then after you got sucked in, then they will take advantage of you. That's the reality of Judaism. All of Judaism is like that. And virtually every Jew on the planet is like that, with only a few exceptions. The exceptions I think I can count on one hand. That's how few exceptions there are. And maybe those were not Jews by birth, but uh, born Anglo-Saxon and adopted by Jewish families. That was actually common. It used to be common for Jews to adopt Anglo babies. I don't know how common that is anymore. But uh, Benjamin Friedman comes to mind. I believe Benjamin Friedman was not a Jew, but uh, an adopted Anglo baby, you know, given a Jewish upbringing, etc., etc. Because he turned against the Jews mightily by exposing the the con game called Talmudism and Judaism altogether. Uh, An outstanding person for what he has accomplished in his lifetime. And there are a few other Jews who have done similar things. He's the most outstanding example. But uh, let's continue tonight. First of all, I have to share with you what Michael Swede discovered during the week. Because he listened to my show, and he, he was actually influenced to some extent by Professor Truth. And it was from Professor Truth that I was able to get a link to this website because Professor Truth was always, as long as I have known him, a Yahweh denier. And, you know, it just piqued my curiosity. Where do you get this idea from that Yahweh is not the true name of our God or that Yahweh is, in fact, a demon or the devil in disguise? I mean, where did you get this information from? 
so he finally gave, gave me the link to the website. It's at www.isawthelightministries.com forward slash sacrednames.html. So I started critiquing this article last week, and I will continue to do so this week. But Michael Swede apparently found an old page of this website because I cannot find it on the current website. And this is the information that Michael Swede has given to me on this matter. And he sent it to me by Skype earlier today. So I will just open up the Skype page here. Uh, It's in a... uh, it's in a PDF format, so I don't know if I can share it with uh, with everybody. Maybe I should try it. But anyway, I'm scrolling down to the bottom. This was posted on December 16th, 2021 at the I Saw the Light Ministries main menu. And it is entitled, Curses for Disobedience, Biblical Reasons for the Judgment of the Jewish African and Native American peoples, copyright 2018, I Saw the Light Ministry. So it's definitely part of Triple W, I Saw the Lot Ministry. The lot. I saw, I saw, yeah, I saw a lot, the angels that tried to seduce Lot's daughters, right? <laughs> and here is what the first sentence of this page states. First, please realize that I am part Jewish and part Native American. Okay, that explains why this Jewish author cites the Kabad Lubavitcher in proclaiming his case against the holy name of Yahweh and Yahshua. And we just only touched last week upon the the difference between Assyrian, Aramaic, and Hebrew, and his claim, and repeating the claim of the Kabbad Lubavitchers, that uh, Assyrian is a true language of the Hebrew. No, it was not, folks. We just proved that contention conclusively last week. This week we'll get further into the document, and we may get into his contention that the proper pronunciation of the name of Yahweh is Jesus. Yes, that's actually what he says in this document. I posted it for you. You can read it for yourselves. Actually, I may not have the exact link to the article, but it's on the front page. It's on the front page of ISawTheLightMinistries.com. So let me repeat this now. And I hope everybody in the chat room has got this. What I have just stated, let me make a quick appearance. Okay, Lily says she's got uh, thunderstorms moving in. Hope we don't lose. She doesn't lose the internet. Yeah, we'll pray that you don't, because this is going to be an important show. And JT says praise his name. Thank you very much. Howdy, Ken. Whoever two or three or more are gathered in his name, and I don't care if you call him by the name of Jesus, because I, I know you're referring to the son of Yahweh, whose pronunciation is Yahshua in the Hebrew. And uh, that that is, I don't know how many Hebrew scholars have proclaimed that, 
this is the only website I have ever come across that denies that that is his true name. This author, because uh, he argues that the letter J was in the original languages of the of the scriptures, which they were not. This is the only person I've ever encountered who makes that claim. And that is basically, I mean, totally false as well. So we're going to continue uh, our discovery of what's wrong with this website and the false claims that it represents. So now I don't know if this is currently on the current incarnation of I saw the light ministries.com, but it, it, it reminds me of the proclamation by Yahshua where he says, if thy light be darkness. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, is he reading the scriptures via a black light? Remember black lights in the 1960s and when uh, the posters lit up under a black light, but not under regular lights. So he must be seeing things. Anyway, first, please realize that I am part Jewish race and part Native American. Okay, so right there, he's telling us that he's a Jew. And there's no such thing as a Jewish Christian. There are Judahite Christians, because the Judahites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel. But the Jews were never, ever a part of the 12 tribes. The Jews finagled their way. They horned their way in. They crashed the party. They crashed the gates of the kingdom, trying to take heaven by storm. They are Edomites, pretending to be Israelites, which is, of course, the basic theme of my book, The Great Impersonation, How the Antichrist Had Deceived the Whole World. And so what we're coming across here is just more deception by the people of Antichrist, the synagogue of Satan, the perfidious Jew. He continues by saying, I love Israel, by which he means the country Israel, not the people is a true people Israel. I love the Jewish, African, and Native American peoples. Uh, what about white people? Do you love white people? He didn't say anything about that. Let's continue. My very best friends, which I consider as part of my real spiritual family, are black people, Mexicans, Asians, etc. Still no mention of white people, <laughs> right? Who are the true Israelites and the true Christians. He continues. In no way, shape, or form is this article being written in the heart of hate or prejudice. Well, any Jew is always preaching from the heart or hate of prejudice because Judaism is prejudice against God's chosen people, Israel. But rather, he says, the purpose of this article is to share with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so a Jew has the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. The Holy Spirit is defined by John as the Spirit of Truth. I have yet to encounter any truth at this website. He claims this is the suppressed truth. So, And this is a, a, a favorite tactic of the interlopers who are pretending to be on our side and are not. They are pretending to be alternative presenters challenging the establishment. No, this is not the suppressed truth. The suppressed truth is that we are Israel and the Jews are imposters. That's the suppressed truth. He continues... 
Whether you accept or deny, I ask you to pray before and after reading this article. He's just he's just giving you a, a semblance of piety. And all Jewish prayer is piety, where Yahshua condemns them for praying in public, davening at the wailing wall, like the hypocrites do. This is hypocrisy on this author's part. So he is setting you up, softening you up. Let us not be led by personal feelings, emotions, traditions, or political correctness. So he's pretending to be anti-political correctness. No, there's no such thing as a Jew who is opposed to political correctness. The Jews created political correctness. And so here is a Jew pretending that he's against political correctness. But let's truly examine the real history of what really happened and why as God sees it. Well, no Jew knows how God sees it because they don't believe in Yahweh. So this is a total red flag, folks. Thank you, Michael Swede, for discovering this page on the I Saw the Light Ministries website. Let me just read a little bit more here. See if there's any truth in any of his statements here. We have been taught that the Jewish Native Americans and the African people were unrighteously slaughtered by white people with no motive other than power, money, and land. We have been taught that the Jews, Native Americans, and Africans did not do anything to bring any of this about. They were just simply innocent victims of horrible atrocities. But the Almighty Creator sees and hears everything. How does he view these historical events? Okay, well, let's get his take. First, let's realize and remember that in the Bible, every time any nation forsook God and followed after false gods, paganism, and deceptions, they were eventually judged via invasion, and many of their people were killed, including women and children and babies. Well, that's that's true. Genesis 19.27, Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he stood before Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when Yahweh destroyed the cities of the valley that Yahweh remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow, and he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Okay, well, this is, and he talks about the Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, etc. But as a Jew, he will never admit that his genome is of these very same people that Yahweh destroyed. Okay? And so, and so he's just making a lot of Bible uh, verses here, and he is stating what we in identity know, namely, that Yahweh punishes people and whole peoples for their disobedience. Okay? And how they relate to our people Israel. That's how they do it. Okay, so you can read the the, less, the rest of this article. I'm not sure how to find it from the main page. It doesn't seem to be accessible from the the main page. But it's at the bottom of this page. I saw the Light Ministries main menu, Home Light versus Darkness Ministry, etc. So it may be under one of those subheadings. But the title of the article is Curses. For disobedience, biblical reasons for the judgment of the Jewish, African, and Native American peoples. But he does not say that he loves white people. <laughs> he says several times he loves Africans, Native Americans, Mexicans, Asians, etc. But, you know, where's your love for white people? I don't see that here, folks. I do not see it at all. Okay, 
So now let's get to my article, which I started last week, and we were talking primarily about the the issue of the origin of the Hebrew language. And, of course, he states, uh, according to the Kabad Lubavitch uh, ideology, that uh, the first language of the Hebrews or Israelites was Assyrian, and that's just total balderdash, absolute balderdash, folks. No truth to to that whatsoever. But I spent a lot of introductory time speaking about the Jews and their true beliefs, from their own words and very incriminating words, which this author never mentions on his website because he is hiding these things from us. The fact that uh, you know they practice the Talmud and they do not practice Torah. So again, the, the I Saw the Light Ministries is leaving out a lot of very good information that people really need to know about Judaism. And he's leaving that out, okay? So, let me get to, I think I left off at page 14, uh, at the Dead Sea Scrolls, where he does correctly cite that the name of Yahweh, the Paleo-Hebrew name of Yahweh, is contained in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's contained also in the Septuagint, the earliest versions of the Septuagint, which were written in Greek. The Scribes, who were Judahite scribes, not Jewish scribes, inserted the Paleo-Hebrew name of Yahweh in right to left in Paleo-Hebrew as opposed to left to right as the Greek Septuagint is written in. Okay, This shows the great reverence that the Judahite scribes had for the name of Yahweh. No indication anywhere that there would be a J or an S in the Hebrew Paleo-Hebrew. You know, paleo name of Yahweh. Okay, so, so the, now this is not new information for us, but uh, this reference, which he tries to cite as as proof for his point of view, it does not confirm his point of view at all. What it shows is that the paleo Hebrew name of Yahweh was retained by the early Israelites, and. I'm of the opinion that it was retained by the early Israelites up to two and three hundred A.D., and it gradually faded out. The name of Yahweh faded out because uh, the dispersion was primarily Grecified, Hellenized Israelites who knew no Hebrew whatsoever, and so they preferred Greek to Hebrew, and that's how the the name of Yahweh fell into disuse. Okay, so let me back up here to uh, page 14, which I don't have this up on, on any website yet because I'm still working on this document. Okay, so, and I talk about what actually, what language actually obtained in Assyria at the time of Daniel, and I, I quote from the Aramaic Language Description, History, and Facts from Encyclopedia Britannica. The original language of Assyria was Akkadian, not Hebrew, not Aramaic. It was Akkadian. The fact that Daniel wrote partly in Hebrew and partly in Aramaic is not problematic because, A, that is anti-Yahwist, that's my nickname for the author, and uh, 
uh, somehow Michael Swede found out that his surname is Zimmerman, which I was not able to find in that document or on any other part of the website, that uh, his name is Zimmerman, and Bob Dylan's real name is Robert Zimmerman. <laughs> and he was, of course, Jewish. So Zimmerman is a, a German name, but adopted by many Jews who lived in Germany. So so this he admits being Jewish. His last name is Zimmerman. And so we can conclude conclusively, because he loves everybody but not but white people, that he is, in fact, Jewish to the core. Okay? So... A's anti-Yahweh's false premise, namely that Hebrew and Aramaic are dialects of Assyrian, is totally false. From the time of the Babylonian captivity, both Hebrew and Aramaic, two languages which are dialectically similar, were used interchangeably by the house of Judah, by those who were fluent in both. Okay? And then he says, this change of language was required. The Israelites eventually translated the entire scriptures into the Assyrian language, and this is false. This is absolutely false. The Jews translated it into Aramaic block script, which they actually invented. They they borrowed the Aramaic script and turned it into what is block Hebrew today. Okay, not Paleo Hebrew, but block Hebrew. In a new corrupt Bible called the Targum, and almost completely lost their original language. Well, the the. The rank-and-file Judahites lost the, the ability to speak Hebrew, but uh, the leaders did not, okay? So, I, I comment on this. If we slaughter this dead horse, will we get any beef? This is a very bad characterization of what actually happened. The fact is that the Paleo-Hebrew scriptures were available to the Judahites and to the Herodians all the way through to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., Upon the return of the house of Judah to Jerusalem in the land of Judah, not the Jews, but Judahites to Jerusalem in the land of Judah, the Aramaic Targums were composed by the Judahite priesthood, not by the Assyrians, in order to explain by reading the Torah aloud in both Hebrew and Aramaic to the, in the Judahite, not Jewish synagogues, the Paleo-Hebrew Torah to the returned exiles. It is completely misleading to suggest that the Targum supplanted the original Hebrew scriptures. They, yes, they were commentaries on the Hebrew scriptures and did include new information for clarification, but this was by done, done by Judahites, not by Jews. Antiochus is confusing the Babylonian Talmudic Jewish story with the actual history of the house of Judah. Again, Antiochus does not demonstrate any knowledge of this most important fact that the so-called Jewish scriptures are not the Bible. The Jewish scriptures are the Talmud and various commentaries on the Bible, such as the Mishnah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the others. They have various books. The Zohar is one of them. Zohar being mainly witchcraft, etc. These these Jewish scriptures are not the Bible. The Pharisaic rabbis later composed the Masoretic text, which was not completed until around 1000 A.D. The Masoretic text, or MT, not the Aramaic Targums, is the distortion of the original Paleo-Hebrew by the Pharisaic rabbis. So we see, now it's quite possible that Mr. Zimmerman 
who admits to being half Jewish. I wonder if his mother was Jewish or whether his father. Either way, it doesn't make any difference. He's totally uh, you know, like a sponge uh, sopping up uh, Judaism here, okay, and not, and not true b- biblical scholarship. And he says, to this very day, the Jews do not speak Hebrew, but rather Assyrian Aramaic. Again, this is wrong. He's got this information uh, from his rabbi. Okay. I comment here, it is true that modern Jews do not speak Hebrew, but it is nonsense to say that they speak Assyrian Aramaic today. The Jews speak Yiddish, which is a combination of German, Polish, and other languages set to a modern Jewish version of Hebrew. But this is all irrelevant since the Jews are not and never have been true Judah. Again, Antiochus has the chronology, the dialects, the ethnicity, and the connections all wrong, according to Jewish fables, no less. This shows a great lack of careful scholarship. Antiochus analysis is overflowing with Jewish deceit and a total lack of scholarship, which is my comment on, on what he just said here. Okay. Then he says, when you look at most websites that proclaim the web... Now, he says most websites, virtually all websites, proclaim the Y names. There's not a website I'm aware of except Mr. Zimmerman's that proclaims that it should be a J instead of a Y. So he's, he's kind of damning with faint praise here by saying, well, most websites, no, all websites except his own proclaim the Y names. And he says that what they are calling the Hebrew language is not the Hebrew language. And my comment here is, this is total nonsense. It is not the Yahweh who confused modern Hebrew with Paleo-Hebrew. It is anti-Yahweh who is confused. He is very confused. We know the difference between Jewish block Hebrew and Paleo-Hebrew. Anti-Yahweh's version of this history is very erratic and based on Talmudic, not Israelite teachings. And so I'm not going to continue any more with his claim that that Hebrew is actually Assyrian. Uh, it's, it's absolute nonsense what he is saying. So I want to get into another website here because... We want to talk about uh, the actual Hebrew name of Yahweh. And this is from a very scholarly uh, source, not, <laughs> not, uh, not the I Saw the Light Ministries. And this is talking about Hebrew. Again, this is another example of Hebrew scholars who can be Christian, non-Christian, atheists, they can be all, they can be linguists, they can be historians, they can be archaeologists, and I'm not aware that any of these people deny that the letter Y is part of the name of Yahweh, not J, as Mr. Zimmerman is proclaiming. So, and this is, I'm going to put this in the chat room because this is very important information. And our people need to know these things, okay? And Lily says, all Jewish males 40 years old or older are required to study the Kabbalah. Makes them go insane, so Freud prescribed them cocaine to treat their insanity. And yes, it is a well-known fact that the Jews 
are the most schizophrenic people in the world. Absolutely the most schizophrenic people in the world. Okay, no doubt about it. Okay, uh, in this website, and let me, uh, sorry, don't want to uh, forget the people in Telegram. So I'll post it in Telegram as well. And this is Biblical Hermeneutics Stack Exchange. Biblical Hermeneutics Stack Exchange. And I'm going to scroll down to, uh, it's about halfway down, a little more than halfway down, where one of the authors, because this is a, uh, a general commentary where people like uh, Wikipedia, where they can comment, put, post their own comments on uh, the subject being the sacred name, the sacred name of Yahweh. So this particular author, and just by the way he discusses this, you can see this guy is a linguist. The name is revealed in Exodus 3.14, explains the meaning of the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, not J-S, I don't know what other letter he wants to insert, J-S, U-S, whatever he wants to call it, either directly or indirectly, depending on how the latter is vocalized. We have to take into account two properties of Hebrew verbs, stem and form. A verb stem is an offshoot of the root that is used to indicate the properties of voice and aspect. Voice in grammar means active or passive, and aspect means the kind of action if it's the active voice. Okay, so voice and aspect. The relevant stems here are the call stem, that's spelled Q-A-L, the call stem, simple action, active voice. And the hifl stem, H-I-F-I-L, the hifl stem, meaning causal action, active voice. So both of these are in the active voice, not the passive voice. Hebrew has two main verb forms, the perfect and the imperfect. The perfect describes completed action, which we call in English the past tense, whereas the imperfect describes actions or states which are incomplete, ongoing, habitual, or continual, okay, which we would call present or future, okay? But even present tense, if it's, if it's in the active voice or ongoing, can imply the future, which means that the action has not been completed. Okay, so if it's incomplete, it's ongoing. If it's ongoing, it hasn't ended yet. If it's habitual, people do it all the time. Or if it's continual, it's still in existence. People are still doing it. So the Hebrew imperfect can be present or future. The name revealed in Exodus 3.14, Eya, as in Eya Asher Eya, is a call stem, first person, singular, imperfect form, and imperfect means it's ongoing, of the verb heya, to be, to exist. I think the best word for it is the philosophical word being. Being. Yahweh is being personified. Therefore, it means I was, I am, or I will be, all in a continuing sense, depending on the context where it may be used. Now, this is the best description of 
the name of Yahweh that I've ever read. You know, many people have alluded to this, but not going into the tenses and and the, the states of being. Let's continue. So if used by God or Yahweh, I am Yahweh, he says in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, I am Yahweh, that is my name. And he says to Moses, this is the name by which you will proclaim me to the Israelite people. So if used by God in the first person, since God lives in eternity, since Yahweh is eternity, I would put it that way, which is not an infinite succession of moments, but one moment of infinite fullness, I would actually say that it could be either. What's the difference between an infinite succession of moments and a moment of infinity? (laughs) What's the difference? Okay, That's a philosophical hair splitting, but maybe he knows what he means. I don't know what he means by that. Reality is an infinite succession of moments. Okay? So maybe he's trying to distinguish Yahweh from that infinite succession of moments by saying that he is a moment of infinite fullness. I don't know. (laughs) That's a never-ending moment. It will be I am, which is clear in John 8.58 when Yahshua says, Before Abraham was, I am which most Christians find to be a very cryptic statement. What is that? That's not good grammar. <laughs> Before Abraham was is in past tense, but I am is in present tense, or as the author is trying to convey to us, it's the imperfect, ongoing, and or future tense, I am. I am now, I always will be. That's what Yahshua is saying here. And he, the author continues by saying, and not before Abraham was, I was. No, Yahshua is stating that he is an eternal being. Not just he hap- that he happened to exist before Abraham. Okay? And he was using the sacred name in the presence of the rabbis who were forbidding the use of that name. That was one of the reasons why they wanted to attack him, because he was violating their law, which says that the sacred name is too holy to be pronounced. But that's their law. The Psalms are full of pronouncements that we should pronounce his name, we should publicize his name, and we should revere his name. Zakabutu. Hello, Zakabutu. Nice to see you in the EFR chat room. They are indeed of their father, the devil. Yes, they are. No matter how much they pretend to be otherwise. Yes. Yeah, just about all Jews are mentally ill. There are very few who are mentally stable. So let's continue. This, this is really good analysis of the meaning of the Hebrew words which you will not get from a Jew. You will not get this from a Jew. Okay? So let's continue. Now, the difference between why Yahshua said, before Abraham was, I am. He's declaring his eternal being. That's what he's doing there. And uh, his identification 
with Yahweh, because he is the son of God, son of Yahweh. And his name, Yahshua, means Yahweh saves. And that is not a, uh, what, how should I put this? That is not a definition for Jesus. The word Jesus has no definition, except that to, as a reference to signify that person they call Jesus, whose true name is Yahshua, not Jesus. Because the word Jesus is a transliteration from both Hebrew and Aramaic to determine how the word should be pronounced in Greek. It's not a definition. There is no defi- definition contained in the word Jesus. In order to find out what the word Jesus really means, you have to go back to the Hebrew and the Aramaic. And it means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. That's what the Hebrew word Yahshua means. And the word Jesus never meant that because it's not a, a given it, it was never given a definition. It's simply a transliteration of how to pronounce the name of Jesus, which is the pronunciation in Greek. Okay? That's the only way the Greeks could pronounce it, Jesus. They couldn't pronounce Yahshua, or they didn't want to, one or the other, or both. Okay? So, therefore, the word Jesus is simply a word that has no actual definition in any language. That's a very important thing to, to realize. Because Why? Because the modern Judeo-Christians say, you are not saved by any other name than Jesus. Well, if the letter J didn't exist before the 1700s, that means the word Jesus never existed before the 1700s. It was pronounced Jesus, as most European languages still pronounce it, or Jesus, as the Spanish pronounce it. They never pronounced it Jesus. That's a very modern uh, you know, designation, modern way of pronouncing it. Okay? So he says, therefore, let me start this uh paragraph over again because it's important. The name revealed in Exodus 3.14, Eya, is a call stem, first person, singular, imperfect form of the verb Eya, to be. Therefore, it means I was, I am, or I will be. And then he goes on to quote John 8.58. That, that's what the verb, verb form means in Exodus 3.14. Now we get to Exodus 3.15. The name revealed in Exodus 3.15, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, yod heh vav or it could be Wah, yod heh wah hey. There's disagreement among scholars whether it should be pronounced like a W or a V, comes from Hava, an earlier variant of the root Heya, to be. In contrast to Eya, it can have two possible meanings depending on its vocalization. The call stem, third person, singular, imperfect form, which means ongoing, present, and or future. If vocalized Yahweh, as if pronouncing it with an I, meaning he was, he is, or he will be, all in a continuing sense, and Yahweh is the eternal being, all right, the ever-existent one who has no beginning, no middle, and no ending. All right? As I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending of epochs. I start things and I finish them. 
is what uh, that verse means, okay? Uh, don't start something you cannot finish. And depending on the context where it may be used. So if it is used by a creature, which exists in time, as all of us do, to refer to Yahweh, it would refer to all three meanings at the same time. As in the past, God continually was. He is ever existent. No beginning. In the present, Yahweh is, as he is right now among us, two, two or more of us gather in his name, Yahshua, or even Jesus. I'll accept the fact that even though Judeo-Christians don't understand that the word Jesus is a you know, made-up word that has no actual definition, they refer to the person we call Yahshua, so I will not chastise them for that. I will not complain about anybody using the name Jesus. God I have more of a problem with because God does not come from Yahweh. It comes from Elohim, which has multiple definitions. And uh, very few of them actually refer to the supreme being. Okay, Elohim is actually a plural word for El or Eloah. Okay. So automatically, the word God is referring to a plural being. It's actually a reference to Yahweh being the Lord over all gods. That's what Yahweh Elohim means when you see that in context in Scripture. And that's where the God, word God is used most often, is in conjunction with Yahweh. Okay, so let's continue. And so this, so if it is used by a creature which exists in time to refer to God, it would refer to all three meanings at the same time. As in the past, God continually was. In the present, God is. And in the future, God will continually be. Quote, he was, is, and will be, unquote. Thus, in this case, the Tetragrammaton is the same name revealed in Exodus 3.14, but pronounced by a creature, denoting God as he is in himself, absolute subsistent being. So the difference between Exodus 3.14, I've never heard this explained by anybody before, Ea in 3.14 is a singular first person singular that's Yahweh referring to himself. And in Exodus 3.15 is Yahweh as perceived by us, by us Israelites, okay? Very interesting uh, definition, far exceeding in uh, you know, uh, scholarship from anything that Mr. Zimmerman has done. Far exceeding anything. All right, so all right, I'm getting the clicking, which happens ha- halfway through my shows these days. So let me just quickly check in if, with the people in the chat room. Okay, uh, we did get disconnected briefly here, but I think we're back. I'm just going to do a quick test. We might have gotten disconnected briefly, and it's a function of uh, me being out in the sticks. So let me get back here. So th- this is a very interesting distinction, talking about uh, the the tenses of the Hebrew language. This is real scholarly stuff compared to what we have found at, uh, I saw the, the, the darkness.com. I can't refer to it as I saw the light because there's no light in that website. It's a Jewish website, folks. Jewish. Okay, let's continue. 
And then from the Hiphal stem regarding Exodus 3.15, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, third person singular imperfect form, which means present and or future, if vocalized Yahweh, meaning he causes to be. In this case, while the name of Exodus 3.14 denotes God as he is in himself, the name in Exodus 3.15 denotes God as viewed by creatures or by us. He who causes them to be, he is the, he is the creator who created us, Yahweh. So there's a distinction between Ea, Asher, Ea, and yod yod vav Yahweh. Okay? And he, he concludes, a frequent objection to the second option is that the Hiphil stem of HWH does not occur anywhere in Hebrew, only in Aramaic. I answer that objection by pointing out that if the Exodus took place in the mid 14th or 15th century, 1446 BC to be exact, then the name was revealed to Moses at a time when Aramaic and Hebrew had not yet become differentiated. Remember, Aram was a brother of Eber. <laughs> they were brothers, both descendants of Noah. Okay, the the languages had to be almost identical, and then you know, as if two brothers move to different cities in a different country, the language will the languages will start to drift apart. Okay, that's the difference between Aramaic and Hebrew. No indication here that Assyrian was spoken by either Aramaeans or Hebrews. No indication whatsoever. Mr. Zimmerman is simply making that stuff up, and of course he gets it from a Kabad Lubavitch website. Okay, that explains that. No more comment necessary. Okay, so he says this this name was given to Moses at a time when Aramaic and Hebrew had not yet become differentiated. This is consistent with the reference to the land of the Shasu of Yahweh Y H W. And the initial inscriptions, the earliest inscriptions of the Hebrew name of Yahweh, only had three letters, Y-H-W. And this occurs in numerous sites in the ancient world. Here he, he cites the temple at Soleb, Nubia, Sudan, built by Amenhotep III, who was a friend of the Israelites. And uh, he was the one, and he had uh, several Israelite sites occupied by the Israelites and they left inscriptions all over the place. These are still being discovered by archaeologists today. All of them clearly YHW or YHWH. No JS ever by any archaeologist, Hebrew scholar, etc. I saw the darkness ministries is the only place that says the opposite. Okay, so let me continue now with the uh, word document that I have here. Okay, and and not only that, but anti-Yahwist refers to the Masoretic text as an accurate representation of the original Hebrew. No, it's not. It's a Jewish redaction of the original Hebrew. So virtually everything that uh, Mr. Zimmerman says is false. 
every, virtually everything he says is false. Okay, so it's only 10 minutes to quit in time. So I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to go beyond uh, you know the, the usual time again today. I, I did 90 minutes last week. I'm going to probably go close to 90 minutes again because now we get into the language tree, which Mr. Zimmerman or Antiyawis has wrong as well. And this time he gets his information probably from rabbis as well, but this is from the secular scholarship, which puts Canaanite at the top of the family tree. And this this is absolutely ridiculous. Let me just recite the tree, and this should be part of the link that I, I put in there because it's part of his website here. So he has this chart, the alphabet family tree. He starts with proto-Canaanite. Folks, it's not possible that the languages under Proto-Canaanite devolved from Proto-Canaanite. It's absolutely most accurate to say put Hebrew on top. And the reasons for that will be obvious as we continue. So he puts Proto-Canaanite on top, Ugaritic, which was a northern Canaanite dialect, and then Phoenician, which was a mid-Canaanite dialect of the uh, country called Tyre. And from that, supposedly, according to this family tree, comes Aramaic, then Syriac, Hebrew, Palmyrene, which I've never heard of, and Nabataean. And from Nabataean comes Aramaic and Persian. No, Persian does not come from Arabic. Persian and Aramaic are the same. The Persians... It's simply another term for Aramaeans. It's just a late term for Aramaeans. And then he has Etruscan Latin underneath Phoenician. And then Western, whatever he means by by Western, maybe uh, European languages. And then he says Archaic Greek, Greek, Cyrillic. Then he says Old Hebrew comes from Phoenician. And then Samaritan. And then Proto-Arabic, Southern Arabian, and Ethiopian. This table is absolutely false. It's a completely obsolete family tree of languages which was composed by anti-biblical atheists and agnostics who did not want to accept the fact that the Bible is a true history book. So they concocted their own family tree. So here we found that... uh, Antiyawis is relying on Kabad Lubavitchers for part of his dissertation. And now he's relying on totally obsolete, totally disproven, lay, atheistic, and agnostic scholarship from those who hate the Bible. Okay, so my comment on this chart is as follows. This chart is horribly incorrect. It reflects, as mentioned above, the anti-biblical bias of the secular philologists, academics, and historians. The positioning of Proto-Canaanite, Ugaritic, and Phoenician are completely outdated and historically absurd. Underline, historically absurd. This chart is based on the false idea that Hebrew is a form of Proto-Canaanite. Now I will explain why this is impossible. Christian Israel 
Come, let us reason together. Since Ham, Shem, and Japheth were brothers, they all spoke the same language. Not so? Am I going out on a limb by suggesting that Ham, Shem, and Japheth all spoke the same language? Uh, That's the usual case in most families, right? How else could they have communicated? This language is correctly referred to as Proto-Hebrew, not Proto-Canaanite. Proto-Hebrew, not Proto-Canaanite. The reasons for this are quite obvious from both biblical and archaeological history. The flood occurred around 2345 B.C., The three brothers and their families eventually parted ways after the ark landed in southeastern Turkey. The biblical records tell us that Japheth went north, Shem stayed in Mesopotamia, and Ham went to Egypt, Mitzrayim. During this time, the descendants of these three brothers were able to communicate with one another before there was ever even a Canaanite, folks, before there was ever a Phoenician. The Hamites spoke a language that used to be categorized by these same secular linguists as Hamito-Semitic. Why? Because Shem and Ham were brothers. It would be natural to characterize that language spoken in Egypt as Hamito-Semitic because it was populated by Hamites and Shemites. That is the correct designation. But that designation has been changed by these devious academics to Afro-Semitic in order to imply the evolutionist's false out-of-Africa claims. Okay, So you see that the reasoning of these you know, atheistic linguists is to diss the Bible. That's, that's all it is. And to try to claim, oh, well, all people evolved from some black African lady in the heart of darkest Africa. We all evolved from that one woman. No, I'm sorry, folks. That's balderdash. And it's anti-biblical and it's anti-scientific. Okay. Moses and Joseph had no problems communicating with the Egyptians. This is because their languages had to be either identical or very similar in order to communicate as easily as they did. And this goes for the Arabians as well. I hope this makes sense to all the skeptics who follow the anti-biblical quote-unquote scholars of secular academia. Since Canaan was a son of Ham, right? Canaan was a son of Ham, not vice versa. Canaan spoke Proto-Hebrew, not Proto-Canaanite. Hebrew existed before Canaan was born. So to categorize Hebrew as Proto-Canaanite is absolutely ridiculous. Canaan begat the various Canaanite tribes who became the worst enemies of the Israelites. Nevertheless, the Canaanites and the Israelites were able to communicate very easily. Why? Because they both spoke Hebrew, not Proto-Canaanite. A lot of biblical history would be incommunicable if that chart were accurate. The above chart is nothing but a perfect example of how secular linguists and historians try to negate the Bible with their false theoretical nonsense.
The table used by Antiochus was invented by academics who absolutely hate the Bible because it contradicts their precious fable of evolution. Hence, they go to elaborate lengths to diss the Bible by inventing their own fictitious timelines, fabulous linguistic trees, and anti-biblical history. But all that's being overturned. Christian archaeology is blowing all of this stuff out of the water. They're proving that the Bible is historically accurate. Numerous inscriptions of the name of Yahweh have been found carved in stone. Last week, I talked about the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the Bible, the Ten Commandment stone, dated to 1000 BC. The, 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 the Hebrew stone south of Albuquerque, New Mexico, inscribed in uh, Paleo-Hebrew 100 years before Paleo-Hebrew was actually discovered by the linguists and the historians. Okay, so there's all kinds of proof that the Bible is telling the truth about our history. The Bible clearly, very clearly tells us that after the Israelites conquered the territory of the Canaanites, several tribes such as Dan and Asher took over the area and the city of Tyre. Under David and Solomon, Tyre was an ally of all Israel. Hiram, king of Tyre, was an ally of both David and Solomon, and he was also a Yahweh believer. However, after the split between Jeroboam and Rehoboam, the ten northern tribes became idolatrous pagans and adopted the religion of the Canaanites. This split occurred circa 900 B.C. It was not until after this time that any talk of Phoenicians and their language is possible because Phoenicia was an offshoot of Tyre and the ships of Tyre, Phoenicia, were manned by these paganized Israelites. So if you got the timeline wrong, you can you can concoct this false, you know, a table of the you know, false table of the history of languages. It's completely fictitious. It's absolute nonsense, folks. Consequently, the charts used by Antiochus to promote his theories are completely nonsensical and based not on biblical scholarship. Rather, they are based on the invented linguistic theories of Bible-hating atheists and agnostics. Anti-Yahweh has been flummoxed by both Talmudic Jews and God-hating evolutionists. Okay? So if you seriously look into this website, isawthelightministries.com, you can see the, the major mistakes that he is making. And he's still promoting these mistakes. And unfortunately, as I said last time, they're... There are even people in identity, mainly non, non-seed liners, who are promoting this website as if it were the God's truth. Unbelievable, folks. Very unbelievable. But that's reality because a lot of our people have a built-in bias against the whole, sacred names because, well, they were brought up saying the name of Jesus, and the Bible says there's only one name under heaven which you can be saved. is Jesus. There was no such name as Jesus when the Bible was written, folks. Do I need to repeat that statement? Consequently, the chart used by Antiochus to promote his series are completely nonsensical. This is the type of proof that he is offering? Question mark. Here is the correct tree of languages as given to us by the Bible. Proto-Hebrew. 
probably spoken by Adam and Eve in the garden and down to Noah and his three sons and their wives. Next came Japhetic, Shemitic, and Hamitic. Japhetic gave rise to Greek as Yavan, because there was no J sound in the ancient world. The fourth son of Japheth, or Yapet, settled in that territory called Ionia, no J, it's spelled with an I, an epithet of Yavan, also pronounced Yan, like the like Y, not a J, like uh, Ian, even in Britain. They still call this, it's Ian or John. <laughs> it's the same, it's the same name pronounced, pronounced differently. This territory became known as Greece. Heber, a descendant of Shem, also spoke Proto-Hebrew. The Hebrew language is named after Eber, but the Hebrews obviously created their own dialect, which was the language both spoken and written in, uh, in written Hebrew in Old Testament times. As stated earlier, the Hamites, except for those Hamites that were present with Nimrod at Babylon, the Tower of Babel, retained their dialect of Proto-Hebrew because all of these dialects are either the direct descendants or cognates of Proto-Hebrew. And these three groups easily communicated with one another. The written forms of these languages varied widely, but there is no doubt that he spoke that the spoken languages were very similar even into the days of the Israelite invasion of Canaan, as the Amarna letters prove. And I've done several shows on the Amarna letters where Aramaic, Hebrew, and Egyptian leaders wrote letters to each other. And even I even last time uh, showed that the, the king of Assyria knew Hebrew very well, and he spoke to the Israelites in the Hebrew language. Okay, let's continue. And that's verses, uh, okay, let me go to Genesis 10, tells us, Unto Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Yapet, the elder, and even to him were children born, the children of Shem, Elam, and Asher, and Arphaxad, and Lud, and Aram. Okay, the Aramaeans were Shemites. They're all the children of Heber. They all spoke Hebrew, folks, not Assyrian. Asher gave his name to Assyria. He was the brother, a descendant of Eber. Okay, grandchild, children of Shem. Eber, Shem, Asher. So you can't, the Asherites did not have a language which they gave to others. It's quite the opposite, as I proved last time. And Arphaxad and Lud and Aram. Note that Aram and Asher were direct sons of Shem. Now what language would these brothers have spoken? Greek, Latin, English? How about Proto-Hebrew or Aramaic? And the children of Aram, Uz and Hul and Gether and Mash, and Arphaxad begat Salah, and Salah begat Eber. And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Yoktan. Not Joktan, Yoktan. Genesis 10, 23-25. Aram is Eber's grandfather. Aram's brother is Asher. 
Asher in due time became known as Assyria. It is obvious that these people were able to communicate with each other down to the times of the breakup of the tribes of Israel. Their scripts may have been different, but their speech was similar. Since they are literal brothers and cousins, they all spoke the same or similar languages and subsequently developed their own dialects of Proto-Hebrew. At this point, since anti-Yahweh's theology and understanding of the Bible is so obviously colored by pagan, Jewish, and atheistic agnostic opinions, I think I should henceforth concentrate on the major gaffes to come. I think the reader understands why I think anti-Yahweh lacks discernment. Further on, Antiochus presents the argument that because Satanists and rabbis use the name of Yahweh in their chants, then Yahweh must be their God. Well, I did a, an internet search on pagans using the name of Yahweh, and I couldn't find any, any results for that search. So that's a lie, that pagans use the name of Yahweh. They did in very ancient times have a god named Yah, Ea, E-A, E-A, which was, I think, a storm god for the very early pagans. But I'm not aware of any modern pagans who use the name of Ea in their rituals. Not aware of any such thing, okay? They all use, in fact, they all use pagan names that the Israelites brought into Europe, well, like Bel, Baal, and uh, Astarte, Asher, you know, Asherah, Ashtaroth, etc. These are very uh, Johnny-come-lately names, not the very early names like Ea. Okay, let's continue. All right. At this, yeah, since A's theology and anti-Yahweh theology is, under, is so obviously colored by pagan, Jewish, and atheistic agnostic opinions, I think I should henceforth concentrate on the major gaps to come. The false idea that uh, Antiochus presents the case that because Satanists and rabbis use the name of Yahweh in their chants, then Yahweh must be their God. No, this is false. The fact is, in the pagan world, they always hedge their bets, worshiping every possible God they could think of. And that's Hinduism, folks. Hinduism is the, uh, the collector the collector of all of the names of every possible pagan god you can think of. They worship millions of different gods and goddesses. Israel, on the other hand, has only one god, and that's Yahweh. He is our god, and we are his people. This false assertion, and I can't find anybody else asserting this other than Mr. Zimmerman, This false idea that Yahweh is a a satanic concoction has given rise to the completely spurious idea that Yahweh must be Satan because these Satanists supposedly invoke the name of Yahweh in their rituals. But pagans have always used the names of various deities in their chants. So this proves nothing. Furthermore, Anti-Yahweh never discusses who it was that took the name of Yahweh out of the biblical translations. It was the rabbis themselves, precisely because they do not want Christians to use the sacred names. Okay? So that was my comment on, uh, on this chart. 
And I'll continue for a few more minutes here, continuing with anti-Yahwist. And I'm on page 21 of my critique of his website. Continuing with anti-Yahwist, notice chart number one of the alphabet family tree. Notice how Hebrew and Syriac are brother languages. Sons of Aram. Sons of Aramaic, which was picked up by the Assyrians later. Yet Old Hebrew or Paleo-Hebrew is not. How can Old Hebrew and Paleo-Hebrew not be considered the original language of the he- of Eber? How could it not be considered that? It's ridiculous. They both descended from the Phoenician language, according to the chart. But Paleo-Hebrew and regular Hebrew are of two different branches, which is another false presentation. Quote, Phoenician descent, or this is my comment here, Phoenician descended from Paleo-Hebrew, not vice versa. Again, Antiochus is relying on, relying on secular opinion and not upon the biblical narrative. He is relying on Jews and atheists to concoct his arguments. And continuing with, uh, with Mr. Zimmerman, notice also how that Old Hebrew or Paleo-Hebrew is listed as a brother of Greek. That's false. Greek and Phoenician developed pretty much simultaneously, but by separate people, by the Yavan, the sons of Japheth, and the others by uh, the Shemitic people known as the Hebrews and Israelites. Okay, Nevertheless, there are many similarities between the two languages because they come from the original Paleo-Hebrew stem. Okay, and then he says, notice also how that Old Hebrew and Paleo-Hebrew is listed as a brother of Greek. And my comment here is that this is true because Greek devolved from Hebrew via Javan, the Japhethite. Examine chart number four. Further down at the page to see that true ancient Hebrew looks and sounds like Greek. No, that's not true, folks. It's the other way around. Greek developed from Javan, who spoke Proto-Hebrew. That's how it developed. I mean, it's like my early criticism of this chart, which I did with uh, Brother Dan Johns, even before TalkShoe existed, was to say that this chart is trying to say that the language that we speak we did not carry with us in our migrations that somehow these languages evolved on their own. No. Hebrew, Greek, German, English, Swedish, all of these languages were carried by our migratory ancestors from the Middle East into Europe. That's how these Languages evolved, and in no other way. Are you trying to tell me that languages evolve by themselves and not by the people who change them and use them? It's an absurd notion, but this is what modern linguistics teach. Well, they don't want to discuss the migrations of the 12 tribes, now do they? Neither the Jews nor the atheists want to discuss that point, okay? And actually, I'm giving atheists a bad rap because not all atheists 
our linguists and teach this nonsense. Okay. All right. All right. So I'm just going to finish this paragraph here. A few more sentences here. And you can see that very clearly by comparing the languages in those charts, that the two charts which are totally wrong, modern Hebrew and the so-called Hebrew of Strong's Concordance and Assyrian, Babylonian, Aramaic look and sound alike. They are closely related and are actually the same. No, they are not. Assyrian actually used Akkadian, which was a cuneiform script. They did not speak Hebrew or Aramaic until very late in their history. So they broke away from their brother Aram and adopted the cuneiform because they moved into an area that was controlled by the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans were similar to the Magi. They were astrologers and astronomers. They were a kind of high priest caste. They were never a nation. And so Chaldean is simply the term that Strong's uses to describe the fact that there are similar terms used by the Chaldeans and by the Hebrews. That's all that means. It doesn't mean any more than that. Okay? Not ascribing the origin of the language to the Chaldeans. Although it is possible, I would concede that since Chaldean it devolved from the, the territory that Cain entered into, Sumeria, that Chaldean evolved from Sumerian, it is quite possible that you're, you're talking about a Canaanite, or Kenite rather, Kenite dialect, uh, also called Akkadian, that evolved separately from Hebrew, right? Because the evolution or the devolution of the Kenites is a totally separate uh, group of people from the Adamites. Totally separate and distinct group of people from the Adamites. So you would expect that their language would differ uh, pretty much radically from the languages we've been discussing up to this point. Okay? So. He does not understand Strong's Concordance and because he believes this rabbinical pronouncement that the true language of the early Hebrews is Assyrian, not Hebrew, that, that's why he says these things. And both in both cases, he is absolutely wrong. All right, so my final comment here is that Antiochus is completely confused because of his reliance upon anti-biblical sources Hebrew and Aramaic belong to the at the top of the chart, not near the bottom. <laughs> okay, that just makes sense from biblical biblical history, and from the languages our ancestors spoke. Okay, and so you know, he he provides these charts, which uh, I'm not going to discuss these charts because uh, you, you can say anything you want about these charts, and I'll, I'll discuss this later uh, n- next week. But I'm not going to discuss these charts because it doesn't really matter. Uh, you can say what you want to about what the true origin of these figures, these letters is. The fact is that Proto-Hebrew is the true origin of these letters. And we find it even in the Nordic pagan uh, era. The figures they used are very similar to Paleo-Hebrew. Okay? Very similar to Paleo-Hebrew. You find paleo Hebrew inscriptions in America. They use the name of Yahweh in stick figures in America. That's because they were Hebrews. They were Israelites. 
They retained the the the, the figures change because it's very difficult to inscribe a curly Q letter onto a rock, right? So they created stick figures, which are easier to inscribe on a rock. But if you've got a papyrus and are writing with a pen and paper, well, then a curly Q is much easier to draw than on a rock, right? Inscribing a rock, okay? So I will continue this next week. There's maybe two more shows because I have to expose the falsehoods that uh, Mr. Zimmerman is proclaiming at this website. So I'm going to uh, you know, play the music. Actually, no, I won't play the music. I'm just going to go uh, for the next 15 minutes with questions. Uh, I'll see if I can take questions in the EFR chat room or comments there and any questions or comments from Telegram. So I will go to the chat room first the EFR chat room first and see what people are, yeah, Babylonian temple prostitutes. Yeah, what language do they speak, right? They probably, a good prostitute would speak all kinds of languages to cover the tourists, right? All the tourists, right? Okay, yes. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, the, I did lose connect, connectivity there for a brief, uh, a brief moment. So, yes, and... Uh, Zakaputu say, uh, I hear you. So yeah, that's just a function of me being way out in the sticks. That's going to happen. So let me go over to Telegram and see who's there. Okay, so it's just me and Lily in Telegram at the moment. So I think we are uh, covering this topic as much thoroughness as, as we possibly can. I've shown you the true scholarship of a Hebrew linguist versus anti yahwist or Mr. Zimmerman, who is actually part Jew and loves everybody but white people. <laughs> okay. Incredible, folks. Incredible. Thank you, Michael Swede, for discovering that page on the I am, or I saw the blacklight.com. Thank you for finding that page on this person's website. It's very revealing. Okay. Thank you for listening, everybody. We're going to close today's shows. Love you all, especially if you're a white Israelite. And uh, not that I hate anybody, but you know, we, uh, David hates people who hate Yahweh. <laughs> and he hates people who don't obey his laws. We as Israelites should have the same feeling towards them. Blood and honor to all of you. Praise Yahweh. Pass the initiative. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. Never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. The Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James.